as preach the Word of God to us tonight. God bless you. All right, would you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you can stay seated. Um, again, always, it is a blessing and a privilege to be back home um, and see so many familiar faces and some new faces. Um, and so that is a huge blessing, and thank you so much. Um, I know many people say it, but the investment that so many of you sitting out there have made in my life and countless others, it's, it's amazing to me. And so I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you so much. And keep up the good work. Now as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse number 8. The Bible says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always a bearing, of, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And then he says, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for this opportunity. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight through your word. Lord, you know each and every one of us where we're at and what we need. And I do pray that we would hear from you and obey um, what your word says. Lord, please calm my nerves and help me to communicate clearly. In your precious name I pray. Amen. The 307th Infantry Regiment moved into the line on Okinawa on April 29th on the top of the Meta Escarpment known as Hacksaw Ridge. The Japanese had spent years entrenching their soldiers, creating a maze of tunnels in the hill. After A Company's near annihilation in taking the escarpment, the remainder of A Company plus B Company, of which Private First Class Desmond Dawes was a part, climbed cargo nets on the top on May 2nd, 1945. The escarpment where the men were fighting was a cliff roughly 400 feet high. The top 35 feet created an overhang where the cargo nets had been necessary for the men to reach the top. For days, men of the 307th held out, fighting against heavily entrenched Japanese forces. Unarmed, Das treated the wounded against under enemy fire. Over the next several days, Das continually put himself in, uh, in mortal danger to aid his fallen comrades. Unafraid to rush into harm's way, he worked to save the very men who once threatened his own life. By May 5th, the fighting intensified to the point that all men were ordered to retreat. Das refused. 
An estimated 75 men or more remained behind, too wounded to retreat under their own power. However, he would not leave them behind. And he successfully rescued 75 men trapped at the top of that escarpment by lowering them down one by one with a special knot that he knew. He had miraculously not been wounded and stayed in the fight with B Company. On May 21st, a couple weeks later, Doss was wounded several times by grenade fragments and a sniper's bullet through his arm. He continued to put others first, refusing treatment before those more seriously wounded. Due to his extensive wounds, Doss was evacuated in late May. He returned home, but spent years recovering from his wounds and from tuberculosis. On October 12, 1945, President Harry S. Truman presented Doss with the Medal of Honor in a ceremony on the White House lawn. Truman shook Doss's hand and said to him, I am proud of you. You really deserve this. I consider this a greater honor than being president. Doss was the first and only conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor during World War II. Now, when we hear stories like this, we can't help but admire the bravery and the courage and the heroism that he displayed. Some, somehow, Desmond Doss did not give up. Somehow, he did not quit. He did not give in in the face of opposition. He kept going after everybody retreated. He stayed there, and, and he acted without regard for his own life. He, he kept going to rescue the wounded. He was willing to die to rescue just one more wounded soldier on the battlefield. It's incredible. I can't even imagine the bravery and the courage that he had. And this is just one of many incredible examples that was displayed by men and women in World War II. Now, Paul here was not, certainly not a soldier in any earthly army. So what does this World War II story have to do with Paul and the Corinthians? Well, Doss did not quit in this physical war. And because he did not quit, the lives of over 75 men were saved. However, tonight we are not here to talk about a physical war, but a spiritual. And similarly, Paul did not quit. And honestly, if you look at, at the total course of history, there is really no way of knowing the full impact that the work and, and life of Paul had on the entire world because he did not quit. And as we come to verse 8, we see um, the first seven verses, he talks, he's talking about the gospel and his ministry and, and, and how he, he shared it and, and what he did um, and that he was honest with it. Um, and that it was the gospel, it was the incredible message of salvation. It wasn't, he, it, the glory did not reside in him. It was in the, it was in the gospel, ultimately the power of God. That, that is the, the, the treasure that they had in earthen vessels. The power of his, is of God, but not of us. And then he comes to verse 8. And he, said, he, he says, he did not quit serving God by sharing the gospel Look at verse 8. He, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Later on in this letter, Paul summarizes his sufferings. And it's a fairly lengthy list, but I get, think it gets across the point across when he says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And journeyings often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils of mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, 
and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fasting often and cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. There is no doubt that Paul, Paul suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He suffered greatly for the gospel, for sharing the gospel. I thought it was also interesting, um, you know that passage in Acts chapter 9, whenever, whenever Paul gets saved, and what a, what a miraculous and glorious account that is, and, and Jesus tells Ananias, Ananias to go and to, and to put his, that Paul's going to come to him, and that he needs to put his hands over his eyes so that he can receive his sight again. And, and Ananias, like most of us probably would be, wasn't so sure about that. Because Paul had literally, Saul at the time, had been persecuting Christians. He had been putting people in jail and beating them and imprisoning them. But, but it's interesting, Jesus assured him, and he, he says to Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then listen to this, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's Acts 9, 15 and 16. Notice how we referred to Paul there. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake, for the, for the name of Jesus. Now, how is that for a call to ministry? I don't know. That's pretty intimidating. But that was certainly the truth. And, and both the biblical record as well as history plays out that Paul suffered tremendously. However, they, the challenges that he faced, the, this great opposition, they did not cause him to quit. They did not move him from his mission Though Paul faced these troubles and persecutions, they didn't make him quit. And, and it's almost like he's, he lays out a string of paradoxes here in verses 8 and 9. Something that it, it seems like there is no way for these two things to be true at the exact same time. It doesn't make sense in our minds. And yet, and yet they were. And it's interesting. It, it should have been impossible for Paul and his companions to not be distressed when they were troubled on every side. To not be in despair when they were perplexed. To not be forsaken when they were persecuted. To not be destroyed when they were cast down. It should have been impossible, at least in our mind. Now, just think, for example, how Paul and Silas were suffering in the Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16. There those two men sat, imprisoned for the heinous crime of preaching the gospel. They had been slandered and accused of things and actions that they did not do. All Paul had done was free the lady from the evil spirit. Because of this, she no longer brought her master's money. Therefore, her masters grabbed Paul, and they, they pushed them into the marketplace before the rulers, and they accused Paul and Silas before the crowd of encouraging rebellion. Then the whole crowd rose up against them and had them stripped and beaten. They laid many stripes on them, the Bible says. Over and over, the whip came down. After what seemed like an eternity, the Roman soldier stopped. And commanded that they be thrown into the jail. The jailer, of course, not wanting to risk anything, puts them into the innermost prison. So there they sat, sitting on the floor in the muck of that disgusting jail, the stench probably nauseating. Their wounds may still be open and bleeding. They could have been freezing without their clothes. They are surrounded by some of the worst individuals of society. Do you think Paul could have been just a little bit discouraged? Do you think maybe Silas could have, could have been wondering, could have been maybe a little bitter towards the rulers of the town, towards maybe 
the jailer? Yeah, maybe God. I think those are all possibilities. I mean, they were, they were serving others. They weren't trying to create an insurrection. They weren't trying to make, cause them to overthrow the government. No, no. No, they were serving others. They were proclaiming the gospel. They, they cast a demon out of that young lady. She had hope. And yet, here they are, sitting in jail. I wonder if they thought, you know, it is not fair that we should have to suffer like this for serving Jesus Christ. I mean, I can think of, you know, those, those other believers, they haven't had to go to jail. They haven't had to be beaten. It's not fair. Then, right about midnight or so, Paul turns to Silas and says, hey, uh, what song do you want to sing? And Silas may have answered, uh, Paul, I don't think any of these guys want to hear us sing. Nevertheless, away they went on the first verse of perhaps, thank God I am free. The prisoners all start looking around at each other and wondering what in the world was going on. That jail had seen a lot of messed up people, that is for sure, but none of them had ever started singing. You see, it's interesting, the, the incredible thing about that is Paul and Silas, they didn't know that they were only going to be in the jail for a few hours, that they were going to be freed very soon. No, they could have been days or months or years for all they knew. Yet, they didn't give up when time of persecution came. When it seemed like there was no hope, they didn't give up on God. They didn't get bitter. They didn't give up when it was tempting to. And then, though Paul suffered... So we see that Paul has suffered greatly. He did not quit, and though Paul suffered, his ministry was all the better for it. Look at verse 10. He says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us, but life in you." When Paul was saying that he was always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, here in verse 10, he's saying that, that he was always willing to suffer for the name of Christ. He was always willing, no matter what, which is absolutely incredible. One commentator wrote, look, look at how Paul describes the experiences in his life. He, remember, he's, he's troubled on every side. He's, he's, he's perplexed. He's persecuted. He's cast down. And, and let's not miss this here tonight, that Paul's life was hard, and it was hard not, not just because he was living, but because of his devotion to Jesus Christ and to his gospel. Paul could have had a pretty easy life just going on as a Pharisee, but no, his, his life was tough because of the gospel. Yet, look at the triumph of Jesus in Paul's life. He, he says, again, he says he's not distressed, he's not in despair, he's not forsaken. He's not destroyed. Paul knew the power and victory of Jesus in his life because he was continually in situations where only the power and the victory of Jesus could meet his need. And when we talk about this today, it is easy to think that we are just saying spiritual things because some of us, including myself, live pretty comfortable lives and do not suffer much at all. But we should remember that everything Paul says here about suffering, and in, in, in the other portions of the Bible that he's written, he says, as a man who probably has suffered more than you or I ever will. This was not theory to Paul. This was real life experience. 
So no doubt, Paul suffered greatly and would continue to do so after he wrote this. In the eyes of the world, this should have done him in. It should have made him quit. This, there was no way that anybody could keep going despite all of that resistance. I mean, Paul was beaten. He was put in prison. He was stoned and left for dead. Truly, he had suffered more than we ever will for the gospel. But, but how? How could a man made of the same stuff as we are go through such difficulty and remain faithful to the gospel ministry? How is that? I mean, Paul was just an ordinary, ordinary man. How, how could he do that? How could he go through so much and still keep going and sharing the gospel with the very next person? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul and his co-laborers, they didn't give up. They didn't stop serving because they were firmly convinced and, and focused on the reality of eternity. Notice with me the next few verses. Verse 13, he says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul's faith in eternity kept him faithful in sharing the gospel. It, it governed what he says, is what he's saying in this verse. He quotes Psalm 116 in verse 10 here, and, and, and basically he refers to faith, and faith is essentially our response to God's word. Faith says, because I believe this, I will act accordingly. And consider the life of Noah, for example. God warned Noah that... Um, that it was going to rain, and it was going to rain a lot. He told Noah that there would be so much water that the entire earth would be flooded. Because of this, God told him to build a gigantic boat, boat called the Ark. Remember, rain was not a thing at that time. Noah had never seen a drop of rain, much less enough to cover the whole earth. He never witnessed a worldwide flood. Not only that, but he, he never saw a boat as big as the Ark. He couldn't just YouTube it. God told Noah to do something that he had never seen before. There was absolutely no example for him to follow. Yet, as we all know, Noah built the ark. Noah obeyed God. Why? Well, Noah built the ark because he had faith in what God said. He built the ark by faith, and faith is acting on a biblical belief. But, but we see, what was Paul's faith? What, what did Paul believe that caused him to speak? Well, we see in verse 14 and 15 that his faith was in the resurrection of the dead. He goes on to say, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You see, Paul knew that the Lord would raise up all the believers at some point at the rapture. This was not a, a question in his mind. He knew it. He had complete assurance of that fact. And he explains it more thoroughly in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, when he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, it, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And though Paul did not know exactly when, he was absolutely sure of the fact that there would be a day in which both he and all the believers that he had sacrificed for would be together with the Lord. And he believed this because of, of Jesus' resurrection. He, he says um, that knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. He, he, had, he knew, obviously, that God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead after his resurrection. And because of that, he had great assurance that he would do the same 
for everyone that placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And he was assured of that. And all of the things, we go on to verse 15, all the things that Paul had endured were for the Corinthians' eternal well-being. He, he says in verse, in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The more that accepted Christ as their Savior, the more that grace would abound. And the more that grace abounded, the more thanksgiving would take place. And ultimately, this would lead to more glory of God. That word redound there means to, to increase, to exceed, to, or to be more abundant. And the intended purpose of the ministry of the gospel is ultimately that we, would get, that we would give God more glory. And Paul was focused on this. He wasn't focused on himself. He wasn't focused on, well, how big is Paul's ministry today? No, no. He was focused that God would get all the glory. The reality of eternity, notice in verse 16, kept Paul diligent in the ministry of the gospel. The, the more that the outward man perished, the more that the inward man was renewed because of the hope of eternity. And verse 16 is what he says. And, and certainly Paul's physical body was not in the greatest of shape. Remember, Paul suffered for the gospel. Incredibly. Paul was stoned. Paul was beaten. Paul was whipped. He was imprisoned. Eventually Paul would die for the faith. Yet, his, his outward man, it, it, it didn't have much but yet Paul was resupplied with strength each day because God was getting more glory. As long as God was getting more glory, Paul was content to keep going, even if it meant that he had to suffer, even if it meant that he had to pay, that it would cost him something. Paul's desire to serve God was once again renewed by his faith and the reality of heaven. And then look at verse 17. He says, For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In light of eternity, this is incredible. Paul considered all of his afflictions as insignificant and light. Imagine uh, Paul, Paul placing his suffering. We, ha we have a balance right here. Paul placing his suffering on one side and, and the joys and, and the glory of heaven on the other. And in our eyes, I mean, I would consider being stoned a pretty big deal. If anybody had an excuse to maybe not witness to that next person, I would say it would be Paul, because he, would, he was stoned and left for dead, and yet Paul continued. And in our, in our eyes, our, his suffering would be great, but yet in light of eternity and in the way that he saw things, it was really only a, a light thing. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Now, how could this be? There's, there is no, I, that, it doesn't make sense in our minds. Paul says that his afflictions were really just but for a moment in that same verse. They were simply momentary. Those afflictions, I'm sure, in the moment felt like eternity, felt like forever. However, Paul never lost sight of eternity. And in light of eternity, they were really only temporary. They were really only for a moment. And not only was Paul convinced of the reality of eternity, we find that ultimately it was what he focused on. In verse number 18, he says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The word look in this verse means to mark, to look at, to observe, to contemplate, to fix one's eyes on, to direct one's attention 
to, to look to. And Paul was focused more on eternity than he was on, on, the, on the temporary things of his life, on the temporary distractions. He was more focused on eternity. He had focused, uh, had he focused on his suffering? Had he focused on, on maybe all the things that he had to give up, all the time that he spent, all the sacrifices that he made? I'm sure he would have given up long ago. But rather, he kept reminding himself of what, was, what his life was accomplishing for eternity. He, it, and it motivated him to say, you know what? These afflictions, these struggles, these persecutions are actually pretty light in light of eternity. Now, Paul and his co-laborers did not give up by uh, serving God by sharing the gospel because they were firmly convinced and, and focused on the reality of eternity. Now, you may be saying yourself, well, that's great for Paul and all, but uh, what does that have to do with me? I mean, I'm not a missionary or church planner in the first century. Well, first, we ought to, be, to love and be thankful for all of the people that sacrificed for our eternal well-being. Now, remember, one of the reasons that Paul wrote these letters to the Corinthians was to defend his apostleship. And, and it is apparent that some, maybe not all, but some in the, in the church there in Corinth were, were kind of casting some doubt and criticizing his ministry and, and, and were causing some questions to be made about whether or not he, is he actually an apostle? Is, he, is his ministry legitimate? And, and that was not the case at all. Some of them thought that maybe, well, man, Paul has suffered a lot. Maybe he should just go ahead and stop. Maybe because he's suffered so much, he's not actually in the will of God. That was not the case at all. Rather, it was that Paul was more committed to the cause of Christ. And we ought to love and be thankful for all of the people. Stop right now and just think about all the people that, that the Lord has used in your life to, to, to help you and to shape you and to guide you to where you are today. And, and thank the Lord for them. And, and, and thank them personally. Because, because they, they sacrificed somewhere along the way. They sacrificed for our eternal well-being. Dads, moms, pastors, Sunday school teachers, mentors, friends. We have to be thankful for those that have sacrificed, they have invested in our, in our, in our lives for our spiritual well-being. Be thankful for them. And, and second... Though we may not be called individually to go plant a church, we have all been called to fulfill the Great Commission. And we all struggle with doing it faithfully, if we're honest here tonight, including myself. And because whenever it comes to sharing the gospel, our flesh does not like it. It's, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. And it, it takes some time and some energy I'm not trying to belittle church attendance, but it's easy to come to a church and to sit in a pew. But it is, it's tough to witness to that coworker that you've been trying to reach for years and nothing seems to be changing. It's uncomfortable to talk to that cashier at maybe the, the local McDonald's in front of everybody about Jesus Christ. It, is, it isn't easy to try and share the gospel with that family member that you've been trying to reach for a long time and they just don't want anything to do with you or your message. Maybe you're here and you just kind of gave up on sharing the gospel because you were tired of dealing with the difficulty of it. Maybe you aren't involved in any kind of soul winning effort and you know that you should be. We can easily get discouraged 
It's very easy or not even be involved when it comes to reaching others with the gospel. For this reason, I'm here to tell you tonight that we need to remind ourselves of the reality of eternity. Eternity is reason enough to start sharing the gospel and to keep sharing the gospel again and again. Don't get so stuck on the stuff right in front of you that your, lives, that your life ends up being filled with the activities that are only temporary. Don't go through life only doing the things that are easy and that are pleasurable. Now, of course, rest and relaxation have their place in life. I'm not saying do not have any fun. No. Rather, live your life in such a way that is going to impact eternity. Remind yourself that the Bible gives only two destinations for every single person after death, and that is heaven or hell. And everybody will go to one of those places. Remind yourself of the reality of eternity. Let the reality of eternity influence your decisions. No matter what shame, embarrassment, or slander we may face, keep sharing the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel. Look for opportunities to witness to the people around you. When you have an opportunity, think about the eternal impact of your action and speak. Sometimes I find myself, maybe uh, I'm in public or, or wherever I may be, and, and there's, a, there's a person that I don't know for sure if they're going to heaven or not. And I'm, I'm caught in this crossroad, in this, this point, this fork in the road where, where, okay, do I witness to them or do I not? And how many people have been there? I know I have. And in that moment, I, I have to confess to you that all the more often I choose to just go about my day. And whenever I read this passage, it really convicted me. Because we've got, in that moment, in that split-second decision, we've got to remind ourselves of eternity. We've got to remind ourselves that that person is going to spend eternity somewhere, whether it's heaven or hell, if, and, and, and we can impact that if we will just simply speak up. Keep trying. Keep trying. It, people, people are probably not going to get saved after the first time you share the gospel with them. I didn't get saved after the first time I heard the gospel, and many of us also did not. But keep going. Tonight, recommit to the spread of the gospel. Be faithful to, to church visitation if you haven't been. Commit to sharing the gospel with just one coworker, Or maybe it's one person that you know that you're going to see. One person in your life. Think about them in your mind. That one person. Decide, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do what I can to share the gospel with that person this week. We may never see the results of our labors. But our job is to simply sow the seed. And God gives the increase. Now, Paul and the labors with him in the gospel ministry kept serving others with the gospel, no matter how much it hurt. And I'm here to tell you this evening that when your coworker shuts you down for attempting to talk about them, to them about Jesus Christ, just keep trying with the next person. When you get the door slammed or get called some foul language for witnessing, keep going. When you are at the store and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, but you are in a hurry Slow down and do it anyways, because eternity is more important than what goes on in, our, in, in here and in here and now, and, and what's only temporary. When you feel exhausted and don't want to go to church visitation, go anyways. If you truly believe in eternity, it's going to affect how we witness. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you don't know that you're going to heaven when you die. And, and the glorious news of the gospel 
is just that, that you can know that you know. You can have complete assurance that you're going to heaven if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, if you do not know, maybe you've been going to church for years, and you know, you know that you have not trusted, you're, you're trusting in your works. You're trusting in maybe your, your, your family was in the ministry. You're trusting in anything other than what Jesus did for you. I'd encourage you, get it settled tonight before it is too late. Paul and his co-laborers did not faint in the gospel ministry because they were firmly convinced of and focused on the reality of eternity. Remember, Desmond Doss did not quit. And we now have 75 or more men's lives that were saved because of it. There's no way of knowing the impact that, that we, our individual lives, could have in so many if we do not quit sharing the gospel. Heaven and hell are too real for us to give up now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word. Lord, thank you so much that someone cared enough about us to share the gospel with us. Lord, whether it was a parent or a friend or, or whoever it was, Lord, I thank you so much for that. And I, I pray that you would please help us Help us to, to refocus and recommit on sharing the gospel with the people around us, Lord. You give us opportunities. I pray that you would help us to use them, to be obedient to what you've called us to do, to, to fulfill the Great Commission. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done for us in our lives. And I pray that you would help us this week to focus on eternity and to live in light of it. In your name I pray, amen.